All right. We're going to spend some time studying the Bible together now. My name is Dave. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Bible Church, and we spend every week focusing on the Scriptures for a while. What we do is we study the Bible because we believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus Himself. So if you have a Bible at home, I encourage you to go ahead and grab one of those Bibles and open it up. Um, You can open up that Bible to 1 Corinthians. It is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. We're starting a new series, and this new series is called True Unity, True Unity. Uh, The only thing that we seem to have in common these days is a new awareness of an uncertain future. And so together, we're looking for solutions outside of ourselves. We find these in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians, we have a a similar situation in some ways to the world that we live in. The city of Corinth was a big city. It was a bustling city in the Greek and Roman world. It was a city where people could go and make a lot of money, and they could move from rags to riches. They could make something of themselves when they previously had a broken and terrible life. And so in the Corinthian church, in the city of Corinth, you have a lot of people who are tempted to think that there's something special because of all the hard work and all the big things they've done to make a new life for themselves. And this actually reminds me of uh, a random superhero reference here, the, the movie The Avengers. It was the first Marvel Avengers movie when they were trying to bring these different superheroes together to be unified. And in that first movie, there was a bad guy named Loki, and Loki, the bad guy, was doing things to make these superheroes not trust each other. They already didn't trust each other. They didn't know who they could trust. And so in the beginning of the movie, you see a lot of arguing. You see a lot of bickering You see a lot of people who are positioning themselves and posturing themselves, trying to figure out who they can align with, and are they going to be on this team or on that team, and can they even trust the government agents that have brought them together? It's a picture of the kind of disunity that we see in everyday human life. It's hard for us to know who we can trust. It's hard for us to know um, what can actually bring us all together, and so I think right now with the coronavirus, we have a unique opportunity because of a worldwide difficulty, because of a worldwide sickness and a worldwide sense of of brokenness, that we have an opportunity to be humbled and to be unified in Christ. What we're going to see in 1 Corinthians is that Christ is really the only place where we can find true unity. So let's read 1 Corinthians. We're just going to read the beginning as an introduction to this letter and to this new series. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship 
of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so in this text, we see the things, we see the kind of intimations of where Paul is going. We see themes that are being lifted up that he's going to talk about more throughout this long book of the Bible. And there are three things that we see can unify a church, can unify a people together in Christ. And those three things are calling, serving, and then God himself. Calling, serving, God himself. I talked at the beginning about the Avengers. They all had incredible gifts. They were all very talented people. They were superheroes, and yet they they had a hard time being on the same team. They tended to believe more in themselves than in the team. Well, in Christ, and what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians in Corinth is that you might have fantastic gifts, but all of those fantastic gifts are, are supposed to be used together in Christ to love others and to serve those around you. And so we're going to be challenged in the same way in this world where we're all divided. We have different uh, political parties we belong to. We have different uh, gifts. We have different talents. We have different interests. We have different solutions that we think are going to fix what's wrong and broken in our lives and in the world. And in Christ, we can be unified. We can know that we're loved and we can know that we now have a unified direction to go in together. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll unpack this text together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do love us in Christ. We pray that as we begin to move through this book of 1 Corinthians, focusing especially on these first four chapters, that we would understand where division comes from. We would understand the source of true unity. Um, God, I pray for those that are tuning in that maybe have never uh, seen us or, or seen any of these services before, I pray especially that they'd be able to understand, that there'd be a sense of clarity about what the Word says and who you are. Um, God, for all of us, just help us to see you, help us to understand you. We pray that your Spirit would supernaturally wake up our, our brains, our minds, our hearts, so that we, we'd receive what you have for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we start moving through the outline of this text, I also want to address one thing that we were talking about as a staff earlier, and that's uh, for a lot of you parents, you're watching these services at home with your kids, which we think is fantastic. We love to encourage families to worship together, to pray together, to study the Bible together. But on the other side of that, I also want to encourage you that, that these sermons that are uh, often 40 minutes or, or way longer, sadly, um, these sermons are aimed primarily at adults. So I do my best to try to speak as clearly and as practically as possible from the Word, but also just want to be realistic. These are aimed at adults. So just want to encourage you as parents, you are deputized to help your children learn, understand. Um, everybody's at a different ability to comprehend. Everybody's at a different ability to pay attention. And so I just want to encourage you to get to know your own children, what they can do, what they can't do, and to help them along in this process. One thing that we did a lot when our kids were little is we would encourage them to maybe draw a picture of something they heard in the sermon. You may not have the materials to do that. You might just ask them to report to you at the end of the sermon some words that they heard or maybe a picture that they saw or uh, key things that they heard and understood. There are different ways to do that, um, but encourage you to help your kids do what's right for them in their situation. So as we move through the text, we have, we have three big ideas. The first is that calling unifies. The second is that serving unifies. And then the third is that God unifies. So first, I want to look at this idea that calling unifies. And this is contrasted, the calling of God is contrasted with what 
in our society we're told to kind of drive our lives towards, and that is um, cultivating our authentic true self. Now, Christianity loves the idea of an authentic true self. The problem is, in our modern culture, the authentic true self has been made into the key that unlocks everything. And so what Christianity does is it says there's an external calling of a God who breaks into our world, and that external calling, that God who calls you from the outside, that God is what puts your authentic true self, your uniqueness, into context. Without God's calling on our lives, we end up just living for ourselves, and our authentic true self becomes an idol, it can become a monster, it can become selfishness, it can become division. So look again at verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, we see this idea of calling come out. We've got Paul says he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So commonly in first century letters, they would start with who the letter was from. So that's why this is just the standard way of, of writing a letter. You know, we have our format when we write an email or when we write a formal paper letter to someone, and this was their format, they'd start off with Paul. Paul was the apostle that was writing the letter, and Paul, he describes as being called by the will of God to be an apostle. So God had broken in from the outside in Paul's life and called him. We can see this uh, story repeated in the book of Acts in the New Testament, just a couple of books before this one in the New Testament, and Paul was called by God to share the message of Jesus with others. And it says also our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes was one of the leaders of the synagogue in Corinth. And so apparently he left Corinth with Paul and he was now helping to write the letter. And so Paul always had a team around him. And again, he's writing this letter with his team with Sosthenes, which yes, is a very difficult name to say. And then in verse two, it says, this is to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I hope you see the repetition of a few key words here in this text. There's a repetition of the word saint and sanctified. So these people who have heard the call of God in their life are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that's past tense, which we need to talk about for just a real quick second. It's not the main point, but what we want to understand that is Uh, This word sanctification is normally the process word that we use in the New Testament for talking about the process of God setting us apart. Saint, holy, and sanctified all have the same root in Greek, and that root word is the idea of something being special, other, made for um, glorious purposes. So God is absolutely holy and sanctified, and we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So as soon as we come to faith in Christ, we're set apart point in time, sanctified. That means we are set apart for God. We now belong to him. We're adopted into his family. We're made holy because we belong to Christ. We're forgiven. When God looks at us, if you believe in Jesus, he sees you as beautiful and perfect as Jesus himself, if you trust in him. So in that sense, you're completely sanctified. But in another sense, there's real sin. There are real habits. There are real problems in our life, and we need to keep walking through life, keep entrusting God with new areas of our life, giving those over to him, trusting that what he says is true, trusting that he loves us, and that process then is often called sanctification. So there's a point in time, we're made holy, God sees us as perfect and beautiful, he sees everything we're going to be, he loves us completely, he forgives us completely. That's once point in time when you have faith 
and trust in Jesus. But then there's this process. In real life, we live in real life. I get angry at my wife or my kids. I have to apologize. I turn back to the Lord, say, Lord, help me to grow. Help me to uh, not be so self-centered. Help me to continue to be sanctified. So that word is a word that has a once-for-all meaning and an ongoing meaning. There are two other words that are really important here. The other word is all. He's talking about all who trust in Jesus, right? You see that in verse 2? He says, they are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul has to emphasize this because, especially in Corinth, these were people who had come from rags to riches. They thought they were very important. He has to remind them, hey, all people who trust in Jesus, we're all one. We're all in the same family together. So he has to emphasize this all. And then back to the word I started with, calling. He says, you are called by God. He says that he was called by God. You're called to be saints. You're called to be set apart. And then he says, this is for everyone who has called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what this means. What it means is if you call out to God, it's because he was already calling you first. If you recognize that you're broken and you need God and you need a salvation, that's because God was calling to you. He was saying, come to me. I love you. Psalm 19 says that there is no language across the entire world in which you can't hear God calling to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. He is calling to you. When you answer that call, you you realize, yeah, he's calling to me, so I'm going to call out to him. I'm going to entrust myself to him, and he will sanctify you. That means he will adopt you and place you in his family. So now, this church in Corinth had a start uh, in the book of Acts. You can go back and read the story. I encourage you to go back and read not only the story of Paul's calling to serve Jesus in the earlier chapter of Acts, but read about the church in Corinth. You can find it in Acts chapter 18. Paul did this thing that he would often do. He would first go to the Jewish gathering called the synagogue, and he would start saying, hey, you've been reading this Old Testament that promises a Messiah is coming. Well, the Messiah has come. It's Jesus. He's risen from the dead, and that proves that he's the Messiah. And so he would reason with the people that already had all the prophecies about Jesus and say, hey, the prophecies have been fulfilled. And then sometimes they would get upset because they loved their traditions more than they loved God. And we see that in our world as well. You'll tell people about Jesus, and they're like, how dare you imply that I need God to save me? My tradition saves me. My race saves me. My job can save me. My politics can save me. And so people still today get angry, just like they did back then, when we imply that they need a Savior. But just like any good doctor that says, hey, you've got a disease, and you need to take some steps to be healthy again, we want to be honest about it and say, hey, we've we've figured this out. We're not saying we're perfect. We're just saying we also have this disease that you have. This disease is called sin, and Jesus is the Savior. So Paul did that in Corinth. The Jews got mad at him. They ran him out of the synagogue. He started telling the non-Jews. More of those came to faith. God encouraged him. It's a great story. In the end, it was a little sad because then they had a riot, and they chased him out of the city. (laughs) But these people still believed And there was this church that had been started now, these people that were sanctified, that were called, that belonged now to Jesus. I grabbed a picture online of someone talking on the telephone. 
Uh, it's an interesting picture because we're all talking on the telephone a lot more now, or maybe texting or maybe using Zoom calls because of the social distancing going on right now with the pandemic. Um, this is one of our few ways to communicate, right? It's harder to communicate in person with people. And so what I want you to think about is the idea that God wants to communicate directly with you. God wants to communicate directly with you, and this word calling is used repeatedly throughout the New Testament to talk about the reality that God is calling to you, and when you call out to him and say, God, I need your help, that's you answering the phone call. That's you picking up the line and saying, God, I'm glad you called. Thank you for wanting to talk to me. So I want to, again, emphasize that in the broader scope of 1 Corinthians, we have a people who had incredible gifts. They were really strong. They'd done incredible things, and they had this temptation to rely on their own self. It's the same temptation that we still have today. Everything in our world tells us to believe in our authentic, true self. But God says, you know what? Your authentic, true self has to be put in context of a God who's calling you from the outside. He loves you. And so the way we talk about this sometimes in theology is that we are glorious ruins. Francis Schaeffer used that phrase. It's a biblical idea that we are glorious and that we're made in the image of God, but we're ruins and that we're broken by our own sin and selfishness. So is everybody unique and is everyone authentic and is everyone beautiful in their own special way? Yes, but we still all have the problem of sin. We need that call of God and we need to answer that call. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is that when you see any human being, it's kind of like walking through a junkyard and seeing what was formerly an incredible sports car, or walking through an antique shop and seeing objects that used to be exquisite and gorgeous, but now there's something about them that's cracked or broken. That's who all of us are. And what God is doing through Jesus Christ is saying, yeah, I made you for this special purpose. I made you unique. There's an authentic true self inside there, but Jesus is the only thing that can heal those cracks so that you can function fully as your authentic true self. Um, My question for you is, have you recognized the difference between being saved by who you are deep inside and being saved by a call from the outside? If you've recognized that for yourself, then the second question is, are you sharing that with other people? Other people need to know this truth, this grace that we found in Jesus that God indeed is calling us, that God is calling out to all people. He wants us to see who he is. He wants us to see how holy and perfect he is, and that even though we have failed to measure up to his holy and perfect standards, he's made a way for us. He's given us Jesus to take our sins upon himself and to give us Jesus' perfect righteousness. All you have to do is call out to him, and and he'll be on that phone call. He will answer the call. So here's some basics of how we can communicate this calling of God to other people. Number one, when we act the way God's made us to act, when we're just nice to people and we serve people in love, that helps people have a, a better picture of who God is. When we hold to the righteous standards that he's given us to hold to, right? When we don't cheat or steal or push other people out of the way, but we actually um, act righteously. Again, that gives people a better understanding of who God is. So that's a basic, just cultivating relationships, getting to know people in practical ways where we serve them, we love them, we help them. Um, A second thing you can do is then just begin to plant seeds. You can begin to just share basics of who Jesus is. 
Uh, there's a great website that uh, can, or a great app that you can get on your phone where it can teach you how to give the three circles presentation of the gospel. What's the name of that app again? Gospel in Life. Is that it? I don't think that's it. Look it up real quick. All right. Anyway, it's a great app that you can do the three circles. <laughs> I think that's Keller's is Gospel in Life. Anyway, I should have written this down in my notes. But it's the three circles presentation of the world. There's uh, the world that's made to be perfect and beautiful. We all kind of know intuitively that the world has a glory to itself. And then there's the world we live in, which is broken and fractured. We all know that. And then there's the restored, redeemed world we're heading to because of what Christ has done. And so those three circles are like the three worlds. What is it? Life on Mission. Okay, you can download that app, Life on Mission. It's a really helpful app that helps you to tell the story, that helps you to explain the calling of a God who is really there, a God who is reaching in and calling to us from the outside. All right, the next point we want to look at is that serving unifies. Serving unifies. So the first one was calling. Calling unifies, and that's in contrast to this internal, authentic, true self, right? We've got to answer a call from the outside. We can't just listen to our heart. We've got to listen to our heart and listen to God to put our heart in context. The second one is serving. Serving is in contrast with what the world offers us, and that is consumerism, right? So our world is telling us again and again that we will be saved by buying the right products or by using the right products, Now, here's the funny thing. Advertising doesn't usually use the word saved, but when you see the pictures, when you see the images, it'll communicate to you that you will be cool, you will be happy, you will be healthy, you will be fulfilled. You could use any number of words like that. And in essence, what we're being told is that if we consume the right products, we can be saved. So let's see what we see here in verses 3 through 7 about the ways that serving can actually unify us instead of consumerism. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a common greeting or blessing that Paul would start off his letters with, right? It's like, if you don't read the rest of the letter, at least let me give you a grace and peace through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So there's that word, the grace again. Um, The word grace, we've talked about this before, is a general word that means kindness, but in Christian theology, this word is about the contrast between us saving ourselves and God saving us because of his external kindness given to us, something we didn't merit or earn. It's just given to us freely. So the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, verse 5 says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. Now, he's introducing themes that he's going to come back to in the rest of the book, encourage you to read through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, encourage you to check out the Bible Project videos that give overviews of books of the Bible. That's helpful as well. But read through the whole book, watch the Bible Project video, and you'll see that a lot of what he talks about throughout the book of 1 Corinthians is the ways in which these Corinthians were gifted They were talented, and Paul was trying to communicate to them, your gifts and your talents are not something that save you. These are not gifts given to you to define who you are, but they're given to you to serve the body. They're given to you to help unify us so that we can be one and we can all together push back the evil and disease and brokenness in the world and all as one together glorify 
God who is in heaven. So he's introducing the theme that you've been gifted. In every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. You're not lacking in any gift. He's saying you've got all the gifts you could possibly need. Do you believe that? That's where Paul starts here. Now again, if you read the rest of the book, they had serious problems. They had serious division issues where they were saying, hey, look at my gift, and hey, my gift is better than your gift. He's saying, I'm not arguing whether or not you have gifts. He's actually affirming that they have gifts. God has gifted them in every way. They're not lacking. They're enriched in Him. And here, Paul, just to be clear, in context, again, with the whole letter, when he says they're rich and they're not lacking in anything, he doesn't necessarily mean money. Too often today, we're taught by what are called health and wealth preachers that if you have faith in Jesus, you'll be rich now. Well, that's not how Jesus lived, right? Jesus came from the perfect riches of heaven. He gave that up and came and lived in our world. He lived a perfect life as a fully human being. He obeyed his Father. He died a death to take our place that he didn't deserve to die. And then he rose from the dead. So in this world, in this life, Jesus didn't have all riches, right? The riches that he had was a perfect relationship with his heavenly father. And that's the same kind of riches that we can know now. We're called, we're adopted, we're placed in God's family as we know forgiveness of our sins. And so that frees us up to be like Jesus. Instead of thinking of ourselves as an orphan that doesn't have anything, that has to go fight and push other people out of the way to get our toilet paper off the aisle rack in the grocery store, right? We got to push and fight and scratch and claw. No, we see ourselves as enriched in every way. We start to see ourselves as adopted children of God, not children who are living on our own, abandoned, but children who are taken care of by our Heavenly Father. And that gives us a new perspective then on our gifts. Then we don't see our gifts as a tool to edge other people out. We see our gifts as something that the Father has entrusted to us to share for the good of others. So this is how serving unifies. When you serve others, when you take your gift and then you serve people with your gift, instead of using your gift to build your own platform, to enrich yourself, to push others out of the way, when you use your gift to serve, then we are truly unified. I grabbed a picture of honeybees. Any of you ever watched honeybees work or have you ever watched like one of those Um, specials, you know, a video about how honeybees cooperate. They have different gifts, they have different jobs to do, and they all work together in perfect harmony. It's amazing. It's a beautiful picture from the animal world. And we see this with other animals as well, that they can use their gifts to serve the group, to honor the way that they're made, to honor their maker, and use their gifts to serve others, use their gifts for unity. Well, that's what God calls us to as well. And so my question for you is, do you understand why God has given you your gifts? Has God given you your unique gifts to serve others, or is it just to make you look good? And just to be clear, it's not like it's terrible if someone says, hey, that's great. You have a gift. That's beautiful about you. That's okay. That's That's a beautiful gift to receive. You can say thank you. That's fine. But what's the ultimate point of that gift? It's to give even more praise and glory to our Heavenly Father. And the Bible teaches us that the way that our gifts, the way that our unique wiring, the way that 
the things we're good at and the things we're not good at and all those unique things that make up our authentic true self, the way that those have been given to us, the way that we can use those to glorify our Heavenly Father is by serving. So a beautiful picture of this is in John chapter 13 where Jesus uh, takes up a towel and he acts as a slave would have in that world. And he does the dirtiest job that they could do serving his disciples, washing their feet. It's a beautiful picture of how we are to use our gifts. So right now, we're in this really weird time in history, right, where we're all isolated and it's hard to know how to serve others, particularly where we live in Bell County. I know I've got a lot of friends and family watching in other places, but in Bell County, it's, it's really strange because we don't have that many cases of this disease. And there aren't as many obvious needs to be met. And so here are a couple of things that you can do. Number one, you can give blood. We've talked about this many times before. We want to build back up the blood bank, help medical providers. Um, Number two, here's a very practical social thing you can do. A lot of people are feeling very stressed out, very isolated. You can see yourself, not as an orphan, but as a child of God who's been enriched in every way, who's been blessed with a restored relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you can take that enrichment. You can take that blessing you have and you can say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, this week, I'm going to call a few other people. Just call them, see how they're doing, and pray for them. It's really that simple. You don't have to talk to them three hours on the telephone, but call people and say, I'd just like to serve you by checking in with you and praying for you. It's really a small thing that you can do, but it makes such a big difference. So giving blood helps the medical community and helps those that might be getting sick in the future, but just Set some time this week to call some other people and encourage them. And man, this is great timing. I had already written this into my sermon this week, and last night a friend just did that for me. Actually, a couple of friends called me. Hey, I just wanted to see how you were doing. I just wanted to pray for you. And so thank you, friends. You know who you are. Um, But let's be a people who do that for each other, who connect, encourage, and we serve. And as we serve one another in love, then we will be more unified. All right, the last point that we want to see is that God ultimately is the one who unifies a church. God unifies a church, not man. And so this is in contrast with what, again, our culture teaches us, which is man is the high point of everything. Mankind, humanity, I shouldn't say man, sorry, that's the uh, non-politically correct way to say it, right? Mankind, humanity, that humanity, we are the epicenter of everything, right? that we are the most important. Now, here's the weird thing. Biblically, the Bible says, actually, humanity, mankind is um, the crown of God's creation. But when we're in rebellion to him, we're the worst of God's creation. And so God is the one who ultimately unifies people, who ultimately unifies the church. And we see this in the second half. We'll pick up in the second half of verse 7. So we'll look at verses 7 through 9. The first half of verse 7 said... You're not lacking in any gift. And then the second half says this, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the world that we live in right now? Man, this is said in many places. Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about this while we're waiting for him to come back. Here it's saying we're waiting for the revealing of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that we're not there yet. So again, going back to what I said at the very beginning, there's a sense in which as soon as you meet Jesus, as soon as you pick up the phone and answer the call of a God who says, I'm giving myself for you in Jesus, do you trust me? As soon as you answer that call and say, yes, God, I trust you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. As soon as you answer that call, you're there. You're sanctified. 
You're loved. You're holy in Christ. Everything is okay because you're now adopted in God's family. But we still live in this world of death and pain and groaning and disease, and we're waiting for the rest of the story to unfold. So there's a sense in which relationally and when it comes to forgiveness and our sin, our relationship with God, everything is complete. But we're longing to be in a world where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. So last week, Easter, we talked about the resurrection of Christ and how the resurrection of Christ proves that we are also headed for resurrection as well. Romans 8 describes this. Romans 8 describes a world in which All of creation is groaning, we're groaning, everybody's groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed when Jesus returns. And so here we have that same theme in 1 Corinthians, we're waiting for God to finish what he started. Is God your true hope? Is the return of Jesus your true hope? Here we see that God is what ultimately unifies us. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the one who is revealed. Verse 8 says, who will sustain you to the end? So he's the one. Jesus is the one that's going to sustain you until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what this means is that, yeah, we're going to mess up, but ultimately we're going to be sustained by God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to sustain us so that in the end, when he does come back, when he is revealed, when everything is finished, when we face that last judgment, we'll be revealed as guiltless. Why? Because we're so awesome? No. We'll be blameless. We'll be guiltless because we're in Christ. Because ultimately, God's doing is what unified us as a holy, sanctified people. And so it says that we will be made guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, he says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so here we see this beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. We see a focus on the end, right? That Greek word end, uh, where it says that um, he will sustain you to the end in in verse 8. That Greek word end is kind of like you've arrived to the destination that you're headed for. That's, That's the picture there. And then there's this other beautiful picture here of us being called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're called into fellowship. That word fellowship in the ancient world meant primarily a business partnership. It meant when you were like helping each other out, you're working together. And so this is us working with Christ. Um, The most common way that this coming to the end in Christ and being in partnership and fellowship with Christ, the most common way this is described in the New Testament is we are in him. We are in him. And there are a lot of other analogies of this throughout the scriptures. I think the most concrete analogy of this is the ark, right? Noah's ark saved Noah and his family. And how were they saved? Well, they were in the ark. And Peter makes it real clear in the New Testament. That's the same way that we're saved in Jesus. We are saved by being in Jesus. He is our ark. I grabbed a picture of a train. Any of you ever ridden on a train? Probably ridden on a car. But a train has train tracks And when you get on a train, they're usually labeled by their destination, right? And so if you want to get on God's train, you're looking at the train and the label says um, being with God forever, right? Reaching the destination of heaven or more biblically to say it, the new earth and the new heaven, right? The new creation, all things being made new 
in Christ. That's the destination that we're headed for. This all things being made right, this everything being perfect, the vision that Revelation gives us at the end of of every tear being wiped away from our eyes. No more disease, no more death. That's the destination. So this train, the destination it's taking us to, the future, the end it's taking us to, is complete peace and all things being good and perfect and right. But the train is also a person. That person is Jesus Christ. And so we see, once again, that God is the one who actually does this. God is the one who confirms us in the end. God is the one who makes us guiltless in Jesus Christ. God is the one who brings us to that future that we are longing for by saving us and getting us to our destination. I think it's so important that we recognize the longing that we have in our hearts, the longing that um, medical pharmaceutical ads say they will answer, right? Healthiness, no more disease, peace, happiness, all these things that the world says us we can be given by medicine or being given by the right education or the right amount of money or whatever it is that the world promises us, God says, no, you'll, you'll find perfection. You'll find wholeness in me. And so once again, God calls us, just like he called the Corinthian church, this modern, sinful, crazy, just wacky church, right? The First Corinthians, the letter is known as one of the letters that goes into most detail about how sinful and broken God's people were. But Paul starts off here saying, but you're in Christ, so everything is going to be okay. And so if, if you find yourself feeling like the Corinthians, man, I'm, I'm the dysfunctional one in the story, right? Of all the New Testament letters, these, these guys are the dysfunctional ones. If, if you find yourself in that same situation, Paul has these same words to give to you. He says, but in Christ, you're whole. In Christ, you have fellowship with God. You have peace and everything is going to be okay. I want to wrap up by, by going back to the Avengers um, analogy, superhero movie. A lot of you haven't seen it and you don't necessarily need to see it. It's not, it's not that awesome. But there's a great picture of division and then unity being forged. And so that's why I'm sharing this because we're talking about true unity. Where does true unity come from? In the movie, it comes really from two scenarios, two situations that take place in the movie. Number one, they get their butts kicked, right? They get beat up. They're humbled. And man, we're in a unique situation in history right now where modern humanity is getting knocked on the floor, so to speak. We are being humbled. And so we've got a great opportunity to cry out to God for help during this time of life. The second thing that unifies them is interesting. The weakest one among them, the one that actually wasn't a superhero, he was just a government agent named Phil Coulson. The weakest among them, he died fighting the evil, fighting the common enemy. And so they rallied around the sacrifice of this one. Now, just to be clear, I know that Agent Phil Coulson in the Avengers movie is not Jesus, right? Um, That's clear. But every story that paints this picture of someone sacrificing for the good of others should remind us of Jesus. Every soldier who sacrifices for others out of love should remind us of Jesus. Uh, Every medical worker who sacrifices and risks their health for others should remind us of Jesus. Every teacher 
who willingly sacrifices their sanity day after day to serve others in love should remind us of Jesus. And what we see in Jesus is not just this beautiful story of someone being willing to sacrifice for the good of others, to love others, but we see the decisive action of a God who is actually saving us, who is actually calling to us from the outside, who's come into our world and has placed our sin on Jesus and has given us the perfect resurrection life of Jesus Christ himself. So our job is to not just be inspired by the story, by the example of sacrifice, which we should be, just like we see in every great story, but more than that, to trust in the reality that that sacrifice really does save us to trust him, give your heart to him, admit that you need him, and admit that he's your only hope. You call out to him, and he will come to you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us, that shapes us. God, as we study 1 Corinthians together, as we study the idea of true unity, we admit, Lord, that we are a divided country, we're a divided people, we're a divided world. The one time when we see, seem to have the most in common with a disease that's causing problems all over the entire globe, we can't even unite to fight against it. We all have different ideas, we all have different suspicions, we all have different things that we think might save us. Lord, will you use this time, even in its brokenness, even in the frustration, use it to help us to see deeper truths of who you are? of how we are divided because of our own selfishness, but that you have come to unite us in Christ. So God, will you come to us? Will you teach us? Will you shape us so that we can be unified to glorify you and to serve and love others? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.